Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, down this excursion. Oh, and I blew it already before I even got started. Let's try that one again, just for fun. Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, on this excursion through the stream of consciousness, down the river of tranquility, and on towards the lake of love. Hey! I'm Jazz. That's Lubby. Hello. And we want to thank you guys for joining us here on this week's excursion. Uh, if you want to talk, reach out to us, you can find me on Twitter at JazzRack. That's J-A-Z-Z-R-A-C-K. You can find Lubby at love at latenightlove.us. And so, as is my kind, as I put together these shows, I look for, I don't know, Inspiration for theming. And so for this show, goes out to our, our good friend, Oscar, again. Oscar is dealing with this issue that most of us deal with. It's just Oscar has the courage to do it publicly. And so this kind of shoots out to him. He's a young man, about mid-20s. Actually accomplished a great deal in his life. But he's talking about the shadow work he has to do. You know, the shadow work, the work that you don't see, the work that other people can't see on you becoming the person you want to be. But he's feeling a bit down because he's not the person he wants to be. And it weighs heavily on him that he's not the person he thinks he should be. But at 25 years old, 26, mid-20s, it's not possible to be the person you want to be. You're still growing. You're still changing. What you're having is a very human moment. It, don't get me wrong. It just shows your humanity. just shows your ability to be introspective. And you're doing it in your mid-20s. Most people don't do that until their mid-30s. You're a decade ahead of the game. So for Oscar, but for the rest of you, whether you do this in your mid-20s or your mid-40s, it's going to happen. Where you're going to realize that you know, you're not the person you want to be and you're going to take start taking steps towards it. And on that journey... There's going to be times where you just, you're tired of the journey. You want to be the person you want to be. But there's a trick to that. And something you don't learn till much later, or if at all, you're never going to be the person you want to be. Because the person you want to be evolves and changes. As you evolve and you grow and you change, that person you want to be evolves and grows and changes. Your goal changes. You set yourself a high goal. And you're mad because you haven't achieved that goal yet. But the key word is yet. As long as you're moving forward, as long as you're progressing, as long as you can take an honest look at yourself... And you can look back in six months, a year, five years, and say you have progressed. Success. That's the success. The journey is a success because the goal changes. The goal is just the goal. The success is that you got where you are today. And that your goal is progress. That you don't want to be those things you didn't, you don't like about yourself. That you want to change those things. That's 
the thing to pat yourself on the back for. The fact that you continually work for it. Because we're all human. We're all never going to be what we want to be. It's not possible. But we all can continually work forward, work towards that. And we've kind of themed our show around that theme this week. There's a quote that came across my uh, social media feed this week. And it's, embrace what you don't know, especially in the beginning. Because what you don't know can become your greatest asset. It ensures that you will absolutely be doing the things different than everybody else. That's from Sarah Blakely. She's a businesswoman, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. And you don't become a philanthropist unless you've been successful. (laughs) Yes. And successful people fail. There's a TV show we used to watch, Force Night. And near the end of the the series, they they were kind of wrapping the series up. They knew it was... And then some new businessman was taking over. And he says, you know, I, I'm what the, he said, what I'm what the world considers a very successful man. And I have failed far more often than I have succeeded. Every time we fail, he says, it grabs me team together. And I ask, where are we going? And if that team is a team of one, it's the same question. Are you happy with where you're going? Failure is a part of life. And you haven't even failed yet. (laughs) Most of us haven't even actually failed yet. Because the fat lady hasn't sung. The bell hasn't rung. The game isn't over. There's still time in life to become the person to start becoming the person you want to be. And if you are really, for anybody who struggles with these things, please consider counseling. You don't need a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a counselor, a life coach, someone just to bounce these things off of. You know, emotional health is just as important as mental health. Physical health. And your physical health, because it's all tied together. You know, you can prevent mental health issues by taking care of your emotional health issues. You can prevent physical issues by taking care of your mental health issues and emotional health issues. Stress is the number one killer. We should always remember that. Okay, so, our first... uh, kind of article to discuss, topic to discuss today, is why it, why it's important to find your, to define your own definition of happiness. Then I screwed that one up. So what do you think, Bobby? Why should you well, define your own happiness? Well, I, I felt that it was a good article. Um, it was very subjective, of course, which... Uh, well, happiness it, it, is, it is subjective. subjective. So it's kind of, you know, case in point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so happiness is suggestive. And 
subjective. And what you find happy is going to be completely unique to you. Your life equation, so to speak, is unique. Well, everyone's wants and needs are different. Yeah, and everybody's yeah. and the areas where people compromise are different. And you know, someone who plays in politics, you know, everybody can has a list of their top twenty issues or whatever. And you can actually have a bunch of people with those top twenty issues in the same order. But it doesn't mean issue number five is weighted the same across that order. Someone could be more care more about their top three issues than they could do about their top tw- about the rest of the seventeen. Another person can have a real difficult time putting those things in order because they care about each one of them relatively equally. And the same thing goes in you going through your life. You know, we each have these differences. We each weight all these things differently. Some people weight a career, their need for a successful career weighs heavier on some people than others. A need for a successful life, a need for a family, a need for, you know, nice things, whatever it is. These are different for everybody. Just like not everybody tastes soda the same way. Not everybody tastes milk the same way. Not everybody experiences the the flavor of salt the same way. So why is we expect everybody to experience life the same way? And so if we all experience life differently, then we must all experience happiness differently. And we've discussed this before. Happiness is different things. There's long-term satisfaction. It's happiness. You know, are you happy in your relationship? Are you happy in your life in general? Versus, are you happy at this particular moment? You know, there's lots of times when you're not happy at this particular moment. You're irritated at your spouse. The sink is boiling water all over the place. You know, and at that particular moment, no, I'm not happy. You're an unhappy camper. You're grumpy, you know, because the world is falling apart. But, you know, if someone asks you next week if you're happy, yeah, I'm a happy person. Yeah, I'm all happy with how life is. You know, yeah, of course we've got problems in those days you don't like but that doesn't mean you're not happy happy. I think that's what we confuse a lot we confuse those moments of happiness with general happiness and we think we have to general happiness is that momentarily happiness all the time it's not the same thing I experience contentment more than I do happiness Yes, but see, we're old enough to realize how rare contentment is and how happy, how thankful contentment is. Oh my gosh, yes. Contentment is happiness. It is happiness. I'm I'm for us, let's be clear. For us, that's contentment is happiness for us. Other people wouldn't be happy just being content, they need something. More, you know, those are the people, skydivers and whatnot. They need more in their life, you know. But we're old. We've been through the ringer. We got bad knees and etc. And so, <laughs> and so, contentment makes us happy. But we're aware of it. We know it. We care about it. We cater. 
We take care of it. <laughs> like it's we, like a precious little thing. My precious. <laughs> my precious. We put a lot of effort into taking care of it. Maintaining. Yes. Cause, maintaining it. Because it is a rare thing. Contentment it is. Alright, so let's see. What we got in here? Oh my gosh, I can't pronounce this one. Do you think you can pronounce this one? No. Anhedonia. Oh my god. Anhedonia. Anhedonia. Yes. It's a, it's, it's, it's a... What it actually is, it's the loss of joy. The lack of joy. When you can't find joy in, in things during a depressive state. And I think we all feel that sometimes, right? Where things that used to bring you joy no longer bring you joy. You know, a game you used to play, you used to sew, and you just no longer get any joy in it or, you know, hobbies. Yeah. yeah, that's one of my red flags when I'm not getting as much joy out of my grandchildren. Yeah, and sometimes uh, you have to be careful about what you're choosing because sometimes hobbies can run their course. Now, and losing interest in a hobby or losing interest in a, in something isn't that might be a, a false signal because it might just be time for you to move on and find something else that happens. But again, when you talk about you know you're no longer finding joy in seeing your grandchildren, that's a big huge red flag. Yes. And we're not it talking for me. And we're not talking about one weekend where you know you're just tired and you, you know and it's a slug thing. You're talking about something that's ongoing. Yes. So yeah, sorry, did I? I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, not at all. So, but it, it is, and it's, it's kind of an insidious thing because how do you define it? How do you know? It sneaks up on you. Just one minute you find yourself. Randomly flipping channels. I've actually done it. Where you just open a game, you start it, and you don't really have any interest in it, you close it, you go try a different one. And all you're really doing is killing time. You could be doing something much more productive, but you're in a depressive state, or in my case, you're trying not to think about other things. You're trying to keep your mind out of its anxiety loop uh, but and it mirrors depression but so it's in a sense I can cannot kind of relate but when it back when I wasn't treating anxiety as anxiety you know I dealt with the depression a lot you're treating the wrong thing so you're getting different <coughs> so depression was a symptom of the anxiety of the long-term anxiety once you started treating anxiety, depression, it doesn't say it doesn't exist. I don't get long-term depression. I get days, maybe a week, where, I'll, where I could probably technically say I'm depressed. But I know people who suffer from real depression. And I don't like to call myself depressed when I know it's just a short bout because I don't want to put myself... Well, it still counts. I know it still counts, but it's like it's like someone in war who trips over, you know, who who 
is in a battlefield, but he trips over, trips in a pothole and sprains his ankle, actually gets a purple heart or something, and versus the guy who is there got his arm shot off and gets a purple heart. You, you know, you don't want to get one for something minor in that situation. You No, I didn't really. Like, those guys really got the purple heart. You know, those are the guys who actually deserve the purple heart. Not me. I got the little stupid injury. <laughs> you know, it, technically I deserve the purple heart. Yeah, okay. But I don't really... Those guys deserve the purple heart. Not me. That's kind of thing. And when you're talking about things like depression and... That's why I make sure I talk about anxiety a lot because that's what I know. And, you know, so while I've dealt with depression, it's not my main thing. And there's people who are much, who have to deal with a much stronger issue than I do. And so I try to reserve it for them. I'm not going to try and lump myself in. There's far too much of that in the world. Where I was depressed once, so now I'm. I understand depression. No, you really don't. It's not the same thing. Much. It's not lessening the impact of that depressive episode. It was the same thing as someone who's lived a decade, twenty years with depression, just can't get past it, even with all the efforts, medications, and doctors, and and they still suffer. It's not the same thing. It's called the same thing, but it's not the same thing. That's all. So I try to be very careful how I use these words. Okay, what's next? Oh, the article about why it was a woman, I believe. She doesn't buy into the fake it until you make it with mental illness. I actually completely agree with it. I I agree with her. Yeah, it was Janet. And we link to all these articles on the website, so you can go to latenightlove.us. And oops, let me. Um, I think that's that would be very. Wouldn't it be very detrimental? You're fundamentally being dishonest with yourself, and if you're having mm-hmm. a mental ish health issues, the last thing you need to be doing is being dishonest with yourself. Right. Now, there's some sense in pushing through, finding the internal fortitude to push through. This is kind of in one of the lessons I had to learn about anxiety is you, you don't actually get rid of the anxiety. You train yourself to become stronger against it. So the waves, when they batter you, you don't rock your foundation anymore. You're secure in your footing. But you can't be secure in your footing if you're not honest with yourself. And you've got to train yourself to be stronger. This notion that sometimes in the mental health industry sells two, two stories that are, that are polar opposites. They tell you that things like depression and anxiety and mental illnesses are always a part of you. You can never truly get past them. Even if you can Cure them so it's no longer impacting your daily life. They're still part of you. They're still part of who you are. You make up a fabric of who you are. You can never truly get away from it. And there's always a chance that, you know, you're going to have a relapse or a recurrence or, or, or something. 
And so at the same time, they're telling you that you can get past it, but that you can never get past it. That you can cure yourself from mental illness. That if you work hard enough and take your medicine, that you can cure your mental illness, but that you also can never get past it. Those aren't compatible stories. And what they're trying to do is because we still think of mental illness like a broken bone. Where you can actually heal it. And you can just move on and not have to think about it anymore. And it was just a thing. You know, maybe you have to do some extra exercises to get your arm back up to strength or something. But it's just a thing. Mental illness isn't like that. That fabric is always going to be part of you, part of your mental makeup. And if it's a genuine mental illness, long-term depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, even successful treatment doesn't make it go away. It just helps you cope with it. It might... And I'm not, you've been dealing, you deal with bipolar disorder, so I want to make sure I'm not being wrong. Even successfully, your bipolar doesn't go away. No, it doesn't go away. It's, it's something I always have to keep an eye on. And so, but what, that just becomes a part of my routine, it's just part of my daily life. You've trained yourself to become stronger against its waves. You have built yourself a foundation that can now stand up to it. Yeah, but the first thing is being able to notice them. Get, you know, not realize, is it a thought or is it, are we working into a thought loop, you know? Yeah, what's a real thought? What's just a thought? <laughs> you know. What's my doom brain? What's, you know, what's what? doom brain or just yeah? So, but that's why you can't. You have to train yourself to be completely honest with yourself, and you can't do that if you're faking if it. If you're you, faking it, you, and I understand the the thing is, is you want is you, in a sense, you're training yourself. The ideal is that you're training yourself to be stronger. Right? It's like when you go to the gym and you, you go and you work out and you try to, and those, those last things you push, you try to do just a little bit more than you actually can to try to build muscle and to try to, and to build strength, right? Because that's kind of what muscle builders, you know, that's what they try to do. But mental illness isn't like that. <laughs> no. It's not. Not like, in a sense, yes, you're training yourself to become stronger. Yes, so there is a correlation, and you do want to exercise that. But it's, but that's where it ends. That's where the, the comparison can end. It's not, you can't fake it until you make it. It's not like a job where you can pretend you know what you're doing until you actually know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I think we've all had jobs where we've done that. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> what did the person before me do? What was? How do you get things done? I just don't want to. 
want to make sure I'm doing right. You can ask enough questions where you can kind of figure out what you're doing. We've all done it. Well, uh, many of us have done it. And <laughs> well, you know you can do the job if someone would just teach you, but no one's there to teach you, so you pretend until you figure it out. And someone says, oh, we don't do it that way. We do it this way. Oh, okay, fine. Sweet. Someone told me how to do that. <laughs> you know, if you, as long as you don't feel like mind being an idiot for a, for a month or whatever it is, that's fine. But you can't risk that. That's a mental battering when you're dealing with mental health issues. You're not honoring your mental health. And you're, in a sense, you're working against it. Anyway. So that's that. What do we got here? Yeah, five minutes for this half. All right. Which one do you want to do? I want to do what you had down at the bottom. Ten things to do to add to your routine if you're struggling with mental illness. All right. Well, we'll pick that one up at the second half then. And we'll just cut short on some of these questions. We'll roll them over to next week. Um, how about we'll answer a question. Pick a question. What was it your little one said that left you speechless? <laughs> oh man, I have too many little ones, so it's hard to know. It's it's one doesn't actually stick out because they're little ones. You don't hold them accountable or anything for things they say. Um, I don't. I have one about. I have a couple about myself. I have one about your grandson. Okay, go ahead. The vagina thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember the whole story, but at any time that a little boy talks and just kind of come casually says, drops vagina in the conversation, it's hilarious. And so <laughs> well, we were, uh, we were, there was people from out of town. We had just sat down. It was a large extended family. We're at this banquet table. He looks up and goes, Mommy has a vagina. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, kids are great. I love kids. <laughs> Pops out, man. I was three, <coughs> and I was on a, I was on a, a, a bus with my mother, and. She, I looked at the the lady across the way from us, and I said, "Everybody has a bottom." And the lady said, "What did she say?" And my mom said, "I don't know. I don't understand her half the time." <laughs> <laughs> and then there was the time I got in trouble, but my I think I was around five, and my cousin Bobby, he was older. And he got me to ask Grandma if we had any spare gunpowder laying around. <laughs> Grandma had a fit. <laughs> uh, no, kids love to. Because uh, they'll just ask whatever's on their mind. And so if you say something. Oh, what was it? The young one at the uh, camping. We were playing the word game around the. Well, around the lantern because you couldn't have fires, so we were, <laughs> so we played the campfire game around the, the lantern. And of course, I'm the one who's sitting here be, behind the what 
she's only like five or seven or something like that. She's young. She's five. Yeah, she's five. She's big. She looks like she's like seven. Um, but she's only like five. And of course, I'm the one who's before her. And it's the word game, word association. It's just a simple word association game. And we're keeping it simple. But of course, you know, her grandmother and her great grandfather over her and her aunt, I guess, are being all quasi inappropriate at times. No, not, not times, not even quasi inappropriate. So I have to convert these quasi-inappropriate things to an appropriate word for a five-year-old. And, <laughs> and so, and so you know, she's trying to be funny. And so she throws out, you know, boobs and vagina and these kind of words and these things. And it's hilarious coming from a five-year-old, but still... Going, you know, y'all could help me. Why do I have to be the adult here? I don't want to be the adult. It's like when I went, we went to our first political convention and found out I was the square. How'd that happen? How did I become a square? Well, you're the one who didn't want the mushrooms. Yeah. Is that really? <laughs> They were very mild. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it was all amongst family, so to speak. Well, not, fa not family, political family. But, yeah, it was all a good time. But I guess, still. Anyway, I don't like mushrooms. I don't eat fungus. I was prescribed mushroom pills once <laughs> for a stomach thing. For a stomach thing. Yeah. I was on shrooms. Doctor's orders. For how long? About a week. A week? You're tripping? Yeah, after about three days, it's just like, no, get me off this goddamn roller coaster ride. I mean, yeah, it's mild shrooms, but still shrooms. And <laughs> it's just like after, it's fun for a couple of days. <laughs> get me the hell off of it. Really? Yeah, no, for a couple of days it was fine. But, you know, it's like, you know, you go out and you want to go to party for a weekend. You, you don't want to go party for a week. Cause I gave that up before I was old enough. So <laughs> I really did. Oh, all right, we're going to take our halftime break. So Bubby uh, can go get a drink. And we will be back in a few minutes. And, oh. For our sponsor, who I believe is still Anchor.fm, you can find us at Late Night Love. US. No, Anchor.fm slash Late Night Love. Leave us a voice message, question, and we will always do those on next week's broadcast. And we will be right back. <laughs> okay, and we are back and we want to point out if you want to help the show you can do so by going to um, late night love dot oops that's not the one I wanted late night love dot locals dot com you can donate some there or you can go to anchor.fm slash late night love and there's ways to help out the show there we would greatly appreciate that um, and also we want to point out that me and Love are gonna have to make some value-added content if we want 
people to actually help out with the show. But we'll talk about that coming up in future shows. So, we also want to point out that you can talk, if you want to have a question or comment you'd like us to talk about here on the show, you can send that email to love at latenightlove.us. You can send a comment on the Facebook page. You can find us on MeWe or Minds, Locals now. We are now on Locals. And you can find, shoot me a tweet over there at uh, JazzRat on Twitter. And I think I've got everything covered. We should probably go cancel our Patreon page since we don't use it. Yeah. Probably. I haven't gotten a notification of anything. so. But of course not because we don't use it. We don't use it. It's kind of a pain. All right, so to hop back, hop back into this stream of consciousness here, can we find any twang? Tra- blah, blah, God, what happens when you are supposed to be a talk show host and you can't use your tongue properly? That's not a good thing. All right, so as we continue through this stream of consciousness, can we find any tranquility in... What you add to your mental illness care routine? Ten things. Yep, there is a list here. We've got a list of ten things that the lobby found interesting. So let's... Okay, well, the first one is your sleep regimen. Uh-huh. The proper amount of sleep is crucial to one's mental health, and that is true. And I recommend sleeping on a Saturday and just sleeping. Don't set an alarm. How many hours do you sleep? That is how much you need. Well, that's assuming you're not you starting. You can't skip. Yeah, but that's assuming you're starting from a non-sleep deprived state. Well, that's true. So, now, if you're young... You, you might not understand this as much as well as if you're older. Once you're older, you usually understand your own body clock and you know how many hours of sleep you need. I need somewhere between six and seven. That's where I function. I get too much sleep, I actually get groggy. Or I have to sleep over ten. It's, you know, like, it's one of the two. <laughs> I either have to get like between six and seven or over ten. If I get eight hours of sleep, I'm messed up. <laughs> I don't understand. But that's... See, I need a minimum of eight. Ten is best. See, and everybody's different. And that's how I can go to bed after you and wake up before you. Yes. And be fine. So. I'm not fine. Why? I miss my cuddle time. Well. I've been going to sleep earlier. Yeah. Yes. Well. Well, you had to go to sleep earlier so you'd get up earlier. Yes. Because somebody was staying up later than me. Anybody who stays up later than me you know, should have their head examined. I was up hours after you, and I would sleep all day. That was not good. No, no. So, but as we're talking about, it, you know, make, watch your sleep. And when you notice your sleep is getting out of whack, you've got to start putting it back together. And it's, it's not a light. It doesn't have to be a light switch. We, a lot of people, when we give, when people give out these examples, they think that it's like you have to treat it like a light switch. No, no, no. Take your time to get your routine set. But you know, if you need a, if you're someone who needs a routine, get your routine set. I'm not someone who needs a routine, but I do need to make sure I get enough sleep. 
over the course of, say, a week. Mm-hmm. So if I, you know, I still need enough sleep. Now, right now, I need to be more mindful of how much sleep I get on a daily basis. But assuming normal health, I can do it on a weekly basis. You can go sleep deprived during the week as long as you can make it up on the weekends. Especially when you're young, you can do that. But you, the point is, you have to make it up on the weekends. <laughs> Otherwise, you can't continue to live sleep deprived. It will actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. You need rest. Your body needs rest and recuperation. You can't work hard all the time. Your body and your mind, it needs that rest. And I admit, it, you're better off if you can get it routinely. But, you know, especially when you're young, you can, you can manage it. Just make sure you manage it. Okay. Okay, number two, get out of bed. Okay, getting out of bed is a struggle sometimes for me too. But uh, I, I, what helps me is laying there and I plan my goals for the day, what I'm going to accomplish. Um, but for this in this article, they. Uh, they needed to not think. They needed to just oomph themselves out of bed. Well, out of bed before your brain clicks on. Yeah. 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 No, I, I get it. I, I, can, I can get both strategies. I understand it. And it depends upon your actual symptoms. If you're, you know, depression is different than doom brain. Or it's different than anxiety. When I don't want to get out of bed, it's because I'm having... And having anxious issues, and, and I'm trying to avoid anxiety issues. It's not depression. It's not that I'm, you know, like depressed people. Oh, I don't have the energy to get out of the bed. It's I don't want to face the anxiety waves that I know are coming. And so you want to hide under a blanket. It's essentially a child response. But you know, what does that say? You know, childishness comes as easily to a man as it does to a child. It's as naturally to a man as it does a child. I think is what the phrase was. Yes. Yeah. So, but it is a childish response. But you know, it's a response. You have to honor it to some respect, even if honor it is a, yeah, 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 yeah. Today's gonna suck. Get up. <laughs> you got things to do, and you roll yourself out of bed. But you know, do whatever you have to do to get out of bed, because you know you can't do anything if you're not. As my friend. uh as a friend of mine says, who deals with chronic pain, he says, I says, he says, you know, I decided that I had a choice. I could lay in bed in pain or I can get up and do things in pain. I decided I was going to get up and do things in pain. Yeah. And you find out whatever you, whatever mental trigger it is you need to do. To get yourself to get moving, get moving. And moving is a success. That's what you have to treat it as. Is the you know, getting your ass out of bed sometimes and just getting moving, just getting your day moving is a success. 
better is not. Yeah. That's where I have a routine so. that gets me going. Well, and you get it. Sometimes you go, God, that's how low I am. We're getting out of bed. I have to treat it as a success. Well, yes, because it's you're reprogramming your brain to view things from a positive perspective. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're retraining your brain to, to reperceive life. And it takes a lot of work. And it, and it feels silly a lot of times because you're treating, you know, routine things as a success. But you have to remember where you started from. It's like when I couldn't leave the house, going to the store was a success. Buying my children food was a success. That seemed silly. But the alternative wasn't doing those things. And that would have been a failure. So therefore, it was a success. Yes. You have to judge based upon what was actually achievable on that day. Yeah. Sometimes, hey, the smallest step is still a step. Yes, it is. Okay, what's the next one? Number three, take meds on time. Um, that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, easy one for me to, to get. As long as I have, I have an individual pill for each one pill container, one for each day. So I don't, cause, so I don't wonder, did I take my meds? Didn't I take my meds? I don't know. Now I know. Well, it's, it, it, it's, it's important for, um, to be consistent. Well, and not just for your pills, but sometimes for them to work effectively. Like the birth control pill, you should take it pretty much the same time every day. Yes. Because that's how it's most effective. And there's a lot of medications that work the same way. Yes. You should take them at the same time every day, especially if there's those that you're taking like twice a day or three times a day. Those you should really make sure you take on time. There's a reason that they have them spaced out. There's a reason they don't give you the all big dose all at once because it needs to be spread out. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good reasons to take your medicine all the time. The next one, shower more regularly. Now, those of us in California who are dealing with the drought, you know, this is, they're actually telling us, you might shower as, <laughs> as least often as you can, but, if you're having trouble with motivation, getting up and moving around, sometimes a shower can help. You can feel clean. You can feel renewed. It's never did it for me, but it does it for other people, and I'm not going to I'm gonna trust that it's their judgment. It's something to try. Well, with this author, she would have a problem. That she would go a week without showering, changing her clothes, or brushing her hair. Yeah, but that's if you work a, from that's a severe depression. Yeah, but if you work from but also if you work from home in your office and you got a nice air conditioned office in your house and you know you don't really do anything, it's very easy to go four or five days without really needing needing a shower. Yes, it's not actually hard. And it's, now it's another thing if you go out and you're a construction worker out in the heat, you're probably taking two showers a day, so just out of need. Yeah. So, you know, you've got different values of need. So 
But you know if you're avoiding showering because you're depressed or you're avoiding showering because you just don't need a shower because you haven't actually done anything. <laughs> you know the difference. And what you do is have to, as we were talking about earlier, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be willing to be honest with yourself about why it is. And if you're having struggle, if you're struggling, just getting moving. If you're struggling, kind of just feeling icky about yourself. Sometimes scrubbing off that icky feeling, even if it's emotional, you know, cathartic. Sometimes a cathartic shower is a cathartic shower. Yeah, gets the blood moving, gets the blood pumping, clears the lungs, clears the head. Sometimes sing in the shower, get your changing mood. Who knows? Yeah, proper nutrition. Proper nutrition, okay, that just kind of stands on its own. Yeah, but here's the thing. I've recently changed my diet dramatically. And oddly enough, I still don't have a good diet. No, it's, I still wouldn't say anything about having a good diet. But consider from where I went to where I have the diet I have now, it's a vast difference. And I don't miss things like sugar. I don't miss... The, the caffeine, I don't miss either. I don't even actually miss the Dr. Pepper that I don't drink anymore, essentially. What I do miss is just being able to go to the store and buy what the hell I want. <laughs> Not have to think about it. If I want, yeah, now you have to look at labels. Now I have to consider, okay, how much sugar can I actually have? Can I buy the chocolate pudding? What can I balance it with so I don't buy too much and eat too much? Because that, you know, because I can have some sugar. I just have to be careful about how much sugar, and I don't have to avoid these things completely. But now I have to contemplate these things, and I hate that. That's the part that irritates me. I don't mind what I can't have. I just irritated that I have to think about it. It really bothers me. Well, nuts. Yeah, it's like I I don't miss what I can't what I can't have and I shouldn't have. I don't actually miss Dr Pepper. I don't really miss potato chips and all those things because of the high salt and yeah. But I miss being able to have them if I want them. I mean, I still can. I but I miss having I miss not having to freaking make a mental calculation. It's really irritating. I'm sorry, Matt. Anyway, so that's my rant over that the exercise. Exercise. Yeah, and she, as she said, the most dreaded activity for most of us. Um, and it, it, it is, it's baby steps. Even if it's just a walk around the block or a, a I, I did that for a while. I didn't, I didn't want to go far. So I would walk down to the corner, down farthest away, about a block away, and then I'd walk back, and I'd do that a couple times a day. So it can be done. Yeah. And the, the whole point about exercise is maybe do something that you don't view as exercise. Go to the driving range. It, move. I think it is is more the 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 point. Just do something. 
you know, if you can't jog or you can't walk, you got so knees, go to the driving range, just, you know, or bowling or something. Just do something to move. Get your blood pumping a little. Get get your arm, get your arms and legs moving a little. You don't have to move a lot. Just do something. Someone needs someone needs to look in the mirror on this one. Uh huh. Just to point out that I'm being a hypocrite as I'm discussing this, but <laughs> because it's one of those things I know I should do that I'm not. <laughs> but just move. There's value in movement. Yeah. Especially in, a sed- in the way we kind of become sedentary. Sedentary, you said. Okay, De- number seven. Decrease or eliminate substances and alcohol. And this author writes, it took me 35 years to discover I was alcoholic until blacking out became a nightly venture. Yeah, that's a, that's a red flag. When you become a blackout drinker. Yeah. Well, one, my guess is she was drinking to hot to run from her depression, and she's actually making her depression worse. And as you you're know, you're treating your depression with a depression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're treating your depression with a depressant. And how often does you know becoming blackout drunk make your life a better? You know, <laughs> just, just <laughs> how often is that going to improve your circumstances in life? I'm mean, just <laughs> you're talking about a low chance of success there. I suppose there is a chance. <laughs> not a great one. <laughs> not a great one. And and uh, be careful about why you're using substances or why you're drinking alcohol. If you're just hanging out with your friends and you're not an alcoholic, we're gonna remove alcoholism for the equation, right? If you're an alcoholic, stay the far away from it, right? That's the they have non-alcoholic beer and wine for a reason. It, that's for social drinking, right? You drink. You, that's what that's what I use outdoors for social. Yeah. And so if you're, and, and it's just me. It's so I feel like I fit in a little bit. I'm a little more comfortable. I'm not that comfortable around drinking. Yeah, they don't let me either. And but if you, but if you're drinking as to hang out with your friends and just having a good time is one thing. If you're drinking. To relax after a long day, you know, you have a, a glass of wine or you have a, share a bottle of wine with your spouse at di- after dinner, type of thing. That's probably fine if you're doing it because it's the only way you can have fun. If you're doing it because you're running from some problems, you're drowning your sorrows, you're not trying to feel something. I don't feel like dealing with the world today. I'm going to go get drunk. Then that's when you have problems. And again, we're throwing alcoholics out the side because alcoholics are a different issue. Alcoholic, you can't. Alcoholics can't treat it the same way everybody else can. You know that better than I do. So there's there's two discussions. You know, there's a, a discussion with alcoholics and there's a discussion with kind of everybody else. Well, um, and so you have to know you have, but again, you have to be honest with yourself. Are you have an alcohol problem or do you, or have, do you have a problem? An emotional problem. That, yeah, that needs yeah. to be dealt with, you know. I think that's the issue. Is you know, make sure you're not running from something. Make sure you don't have first. Make sure you don't have an alcoholism problem. Then make sure you're not running from something. And at that point, how often do you really need to? Now, to be blunt, we use marijuana on a daily basis. I use it largely for 
anxiety issues. You know, but you know, that's not completely non-recreational. That would be a lie. You know, it's the end of the day when I'm not doing anything. <laughs> we might smoke two or three in a short period of two or three joints in a short period of time, or I might supplement with the bong. But over the course of a day, we don't smoke that much. I don't. We do. We do. As a combination, but individually we don't. Individually we don't. Not really. No. So, but the point is, we use I use we use it mostly for anxiety disorder. Mostly to treat my anxiety. It's and then there's you know, sure occasionally it's recreational, but on the plus side I don't drink. So, which oddly enough, for the second time in my life, it saved my life. Not being a drinker. Yes. Huh. So, anyway. Worked out that way. So, we got next. Number eight. Find your identity. Uh, this author spent their childhood caring for their mother who lived with bipolar herself. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. So, finding your identity other than... Being a mental patient and being a being a mom, being a grandmother. Well, finding finding your identity. Well, I agree. You don't want your identity to be superficial. You don't want your identity to be your mental illness. But there's nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home mom, say so, so to speak, a homemaker, being your identity. It's no. It's no worse than a stockbroker being your identity. Yeah, but that's part of your identity. You're also a kind, loving, warm individual. Well, yeah. Who has varied interests of their own. Yes, but but when someone's a stockbroker, we just we, that can be their identity. We don't judge them from it. But if someone's a homemaker, we judge them because we oh you need to go find some other identity. Is that being a homemaker isn't isn't a value in and of itself. Okay, maybe I didn't use a good example. I'm just, no, I'm not. I'm just saying that it's you find value in your identity. You actually, most people don't have to find their identity. What they have to do is value it. Most people know what their identity is. They just don't value it. They don't honor it. If your identity is a homemaker then own it. Be it. Believe it. There's nothing wrong with it. If your identity is someone who donates time helping the homeless, own it. Be it. There's nothing wrong to, there's nothing wrong with to hide it. If your identity is a money-grubbing entrepreneur, own it. It's who you are anyway. You might as well own it. Doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it. But everybody's going to see that's what you are anyway. So being dishonest with yourself or the world around you isn't going to help. And owning it gives you freedom to become something more. Because you don't have to search. You just get to be. And then you get to be whatever it is you choose. 
So just own who you are. You already know. And it's not your mental illness diagnosis. It's not your sexuality. Maybe you're an activist. That's a different thing. Okay, what's next? Learning to discipline oneself. And in this, uh, the, the, uh, the um, author was talking about finding a balance between downtime and productive time. Yeah, something I struggle with. You can kind of feel like you're spinning your wheels all day. And, but a lot of times, see, my problem is I live in my head a lot. And so I can feel like I'm not getting a lot done when it's not getting done in my head. And all of a sudden, a whole big flurry of activity happens in a relatively short matter of time. And all of a sudden, I, all of a sudden I've gotten a lot of things done. <laughs> you know, and next thing you know, you get a flurry of activity and all of a sudden. But really, it's just I was I, I do a lot of internal work. And then it comes out in a big, huge flurry all at once. But it's not the world's greatest strategy. It's frustrating. It drives me up the wall. And I and again, learning to undiscipline myself. Finding the right techniques to discipline myself would be a very big help to me. I am far from a finished, perfect product. <laughs> I have many, many flaws. And I don't have a problem being honest with myself about them. I'm just saying. We all have, you know, the need to look into ourselves. All right, last one. And we are just about out of time. So, 10, become mindful of mood cycles. Yeah. Understanding what sets your moods and when they're coming and when they're not is very helpful, especially in a relationship. So you, you understanding yourself, and again, it goes right back to the beginning where we've been talking about learning to be honest with yourself, right? Yes. You have to be willing to tell yourself, you know, I'm in a kind of a jerky mood. I should either be mindful, or, or you know, kind of separate myself from society for a little while. Uh, see, for me, I gotta watch money. I get into a manic. I start spending money. <laughs> yeah. So, but yes, again, you have to understand when your manic episodes are coming on. Well, the spending money is is a it's red a, flag. It's the red flag. Well, you're actually pretty good. You do all your spending right there at the one time. Once a month, you do all your planning of what you're going to buy, and you buy it pretty much just at the one time of the month. And I think that helps you. Yes, it does. It helps me stay on budget. Once a month, I resupply and everything I need. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, everything you need, you want. And so you become very good at, at mitigating the, the issues you have with that. So. Yes, yes. So, yeah, because, you know, that bipolar, you know, it's, you know, the, you're too, it's literally called bipolar for a reason. you got two different people in there that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> well, not two different people, but you, you're two different emotional states, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. That are, that are highly different. And if you don't moderate that, both of those 
You're because it's hard. I'm having. I have. I have to explain it from an external position. It seems to me like you have to figure. You have to figure out how to not get to either extreme. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're just bouncing between the extremes. Yeah. And you do that long enough, you become disassociated with this thing that the rest of us call reality. Yes. So, so it's imperative that we monitor that and make sure you stay between the ditches. Like you're yeah, on, yeah, 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 yeah. The road's kind of wide. You've gotten the, you've built your road kind of wide road to, to work with now. now. When we met you, your road was much narrower, but now we've got a nice wide road for you to work with. But still, you still have to stay on the road. <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> Stop down the road, and and that requires being honest with yourself. And thank you for acknowledging my road. My road has gotten wider. It's been a lot of work. Yeah, we talk about how much work we put in. We've come a long way, not just as a couple individually. Yes. You know, part of that's because of our. Our couple, and we've given each other the freedom to be able to work on ourselves. Completely. You know, and that's a great gift. Maybe the greatest gift of all. Yeah, it's hard to know. How do you how do you measure that kind of a gift? How do you put value to that? There's no. You can't do that. You can't do it. It just is. So, as we talk about value and giving gifts, our gift of time is up for this week. We want to thank you for for joining us. We want to thank you for loving love. And we want to thank you for... Oh, I forgot the third thank you. Or did I go three thank yous already? You did two. I forgot my third thank you. I had three thank yous and I forgot it. I gotta write these things down now. <laughs> <laughs> you think I would have learned by now? Well, that's up to Skipper the intern. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we talk about, you know, we always have places. We started the thing talking about how we're never the person we want to be. We all have. Still have a a path to climb on our journey, and our journey on this show is done. For me and Lubby, please remember, love everybody. Good night. Good night. <laughs>